gold standard. Welcome to the Dr. Hedberg Show for cutting-edge practical health information. For the latest articles, videos, and podcasts, visit drhedberg.com. That's D-R-H-E-D-B-E-R-G.com. The information in this show is intended for educational purposes only. Always consult your healthcare professional before attempting anything recommended in this program. And now, here's Dr. Hedberg. Well, welcome everyone to the Dr. Hedberg Show. This is Dr. Hedberg. And in this episode, I'm going to be talking about the Hashimoto's disease and SIBO connection. So SIBO is small intestinal bacterial overgrowth. Basically what happens is there's migration of the bacteria in the large intestine into the small intestine. So normally you have twice as much bacteria in the large intestine as you have in the small intestine. So there's fewer bacteria in the upper GI normally. In SIBO, it it kind of reverses. So you have twice as much bacteria in the small intestine, the upper GI, as the lower GI in the large intestine. So there is a, there's not a lot of literature on this. There's a, a few papers that connect hypothyroidism and Hashimoto's disease and SIBO. So I'm going to cover those today. So the first paper is, and by the way, I'm seeing more and more SIBO just as time goes by. Uh, more and more and more patients are coming in with SIBO. And, and they also have Hashimoto's disease and hypothyroidism. So SIBO is, is I would say, very popular right now. Uh, a lot of people are finding out that they have it. And a lot of them also have Hashimoto's disease and, and hypothyroidism. And sometimes they don't know they have one or they have the other. And they can't figure out why they're not getting well. So this first paper is called Association Between Hypothyroidism and SIBO. This was in the Journal of Clinical Endocrinology and Metabolism. And so the authors talk about SIBO. You know, it's an, like I said, it's an overgrowth of bacteria in the small intestine, and this damages the gut wall, and that leads to malabsorption of nutrients. So you'll have like low iron and zinc and uh, protein deficiencies and things like that. So the, the main signs of SIBO that you might have it are bloating. So you're like bloating all the time or bloating after meals, abdominal pain, cramping, a lot of gas, weight loss. And then you can have either a diarrhea dominant SIBO or a constipation dominant SIBO. Or you can have actually a mixed SIBO where you have alternating constipation and diarrhea. So about 60% of the people with IBS, which is irritable bowel syndrome, have SIBO. And that's what's actually causing the IBS. So those two are intimately connected as well. So the main causes of SIBO, so why would you get this, are hypothyroidism, uh, proton pump inhibitors, and antacids. So if you've been on any of those for a long time, you're at increased risk, helicobacter pylori infections, autoimmune diseases, malnutrition, 
immune dysfunction, um, if you have um, any head traumas, like a history of head trauma, concussions, uh, that can cause it. Anything that can decrease gut motility. So basically, uh, SIBO is an issue of impaired gut motility. So the food is not able to move through the gut like it normally should. So it's very slow and the bacteria back get backed up and they ferment the food that is just sitting there and not moving through the gut. And that's how they overgrow. So if you've had any gut surgeries like appendix removal or your gallbladder removed or anything like that, that can leave some scar tissue and adhesions in the bowels that can lead to SIBO. Any kind of metabolic issue with your blood sugar, adrenals, thyroid, and then if you have any muscle or nerve illnesses. So those are the main causes of SIBO. And then also, if you have a history of taking a lot of antibiotics as a kid and throughout your life, uh, that can lead to SIBO. I would also add birth control pills in there. If you've been on birth control for a long time, that can lead to SIBO. So a lot of potential causes there that your uh, functional medicine doctor will do the detective work and figure out which one of those it is. So we know that thyroid hormone, especially T3, is involved in the proper movement of food through the intestines, and that's called peristalsis. So if your T3 levels are low, or the T3 is not able to work in the cell because your ferritin is low, or you're zinc deficient, or if you're under a lot of stress and things like that, then your peristalsis will slow down. And so, for example, those with hyperthyroidism, like Graves' disease, they tend to have diarrhea because there's so much T3 driving uh, the food through the bowels. And then, of course, those with hypothyroidism tend to be constipated uh, because there's not enough thyroid hormone. The bowels get sluggish. And so that's a very common common symptom. So this in this study, the authors wanted to answer three questions. Number one, is hypothyroidism associated with SIBO? Number two, how does treatment of SIBO affect those with hypothyroidism? And then number three, does SIBO actually affect thyroid hormone levels? So we had 50 patients with hypothyroidism due to Hashimoto's disease. So they all had Hashimoto's and that caused their hypothyroid. They checked TSH, free T4, free T3, thyroid peroxidase, and antithyroglobulin antibodies. So they considered hypothyroidism a TSH above 2.8. So that was actually kind of surprising because most studies use a higher cutoff point for TSH, usually around 4 or 4.5. So that was good to see. We want TSH between 0.5 and 2.5 in most people. So they're actually pretty close here. And then they also considered people hypothyroid if they had low free T4 and free T3. And that was also surprising because you're lucky now to get a, a free T4 from your doctor. And it's next to near impossible to get a free T3 as well. So the thyroid antibody levels were elevated and thyroid ultrasounds were done. And the ultrasounds of the thyroid shows tissue, tissue changes in the thyroid gland. And that's 
a normal diagnostic sign for Hashimoto's disease. So they gave the patients T4, which nor actually normalized their thyroid function in about two to six months before starting the study. So they began by giving them prescription thyroid hormone and getting their numbers looking good. So the good news is that there was a control group of 40 healthy volunteers. And remember, with what, if you want a really strong study, you have to have a control group, and that increases the, the validity of the study. So they did a, a glucose breath test, uh, and that's what I use as well to um, diagnose SIBO. So basically, you drink a glucose solution in the morning on an empty stomach, and then you blow into tubes every 20 minutes for a few hours. And that measures the amount of gas that the bacteria are producing in your gut. So they measure hydrogen and methane gas. So every patient who tested positive for SIBO was then actually treated with the antibiotic rifaximin for seven days. And rifaximin is the most effective antibiotic for SIBO. So then they repeated the glucose breath test one month after the antibiotic treatment to see if they had eradicated the SIBO. Thyroid hormone levels were tested in the beginning and one month after the antibiotic treatment and then one month after the initial evaluation in those who actually didn't have SIBO. So they measured their hormones in those who did have SIBO and those who didn't. And then the patients filled out this questionnaire before and after treatment about, you know, abdominal pain, bloating, gas, constipation, diarrhea. So these are the results. So 27 patients, so this was 54% of the group that tested positive for SIBO compared to only two in the control group. So that was definitely statistically significant. So about half of the subjects with Hashimoto's and hypothyroidism tested positive for SIBO. So that's a really high percentage. There was no significant association found between the presence of SIBO and age of hypothyroidism diagnosis. So it didn't matter how long they had it. And it, the T4 dose that they were taking, that didn't matter either. The most common symptoms they reported in those who had SIBO were abdominal discomfort, gas, and bloating. And there was really no significance, however, related to constipation or diarrhea. Okay, so... 19 out of the 27 patients, remember 27 patients tested positive for SIBO. So 19 of them, that's about 70%, who were treated with antibiotics for SIBO tested negative for SIBO after a month. So the rifaximin was effective in 70% of those people. So those 19 people who were successfully treated with rifaximin for SIBO did report significant improvements in their bowel symptoms. So they had less abdominal discomfort, less bloating, 
and less gas. But there actually weren't any changes in their constipation or their diarrhea, interestingly enough. And then none of the symptoms improved in the eight patients who were unsuccessfully treated for SIBO with antibiotics. So that all makes sense. The daily dose of T4 was similar among all patients, regardless of how they responded to antibiotic therapy for SIBO. And the thyroid hormone levels were similar to those who tested negative for SIBO. So the, the author discussion basically says that the authors did conclude that hypothyroidism due to Hashimoto's disease is definitely a risk factor for SIBO development. And so their hypothesis is that insufficient thyroid hormone levels leads to decreased gut motility, and that leads to insufficient clearance of bacteria from the small intestine. So the patients with SIBO did not require extra thyroid hormone, and that indicated that any malabsorption caused by SIBO didn't affect their T4 dosing, actually. And those who were treated successfully for the SIBO did not show any changes in their thyroid hormones. So we weren't given actually their thyroid antibody levels before and after SIBO treatment, and that would have been interesting to see. I would, I would guess that those levels went down in the people that had SIBO and, and were successfully treated. So very strong study. Uh, there are a few other ones out there that I link to on drhedberg.com. And um, there's, let's see, I linked to one, two, three, four more studies uh, that do connect hypothyroidism with SIBO. So it's, it's a pretty simplistic mechanism, actually. You're hypothyroid, you have low thyroid hormone levels, thyroid hormone drives the movement of food through the gut. And so if you're low in thyroid, that slows down, everything backs up, and you get SIBO. Now, the second paper that I cover, I can't actually cover the whole paper because it's only written in Polish. Uh, I reached out to some people I know who who speak Polish. I was unable to get a translation. So all I can do is give you the abstract information and uh, a table that I could view in the actual paper. So the paper is out of Poland. It's called Thyroid Dysfunction in Patients with Small Intestinal Bacterial Overgrowth. And so they say that SIBO similarly as thyroid diseases is characterized by chronic diarrhea or constipation but it's not known whether there is a causal relationship between these disorders the aim of this study was to assess thyroid function in different clinical forms of SIBO so we had 34 patients with diarrhea dominant SIBO 30 patients with constipation dominant SIBO and then 30 healthy subjects. So again, this is a good study because we had a control group. So the SIBO was assessed with lactulose breath testing, 
And so you can use glucose or lactulose for a SIBO test. They also measured TSH, free T4, free T3, and TPO antibodies. And so I'll summarize. I have a table that I made uh, on this uh, particular article on drhedberg.com if you want to look at it. And so the diarrhea-dominant SIBO group, their TSH was around 2.5. And then the constipation-dominant SIBO group, their TSH was around 3.8. So that makes sense because the constipation... Um, I think that those people are probably more hypothyroid than the diarrhea-dominant SIBO cases because the free T4 and the free T3 were also lower in the constipation-dominant SIBO group than the diarrhea-dominant SIBO group. And also the TPO antibody levels were higher in the constipation group than the SIBO dom- than the diarrhea dominant SIBO group. So they conclude that thyroid function may be impaired in patients with SIBO, which should be taken into account in the diagnostic and therapeutic management of the diseases of these organs. So there wasn't a lot going on in the study as they didn't treat the SIBO or anything like that. They just compared the thyroid uh, blood tests, the hormone levels and the antibodies among the groups compared to the control group. And so the control group numbers were actually very, very similar to the diarrhea dominant SIBO group. So actually not much difference there, but the constipation dominant SIBO group, their numbers were much worse than the control group and the diarrhea-dominant SIBO group. Now, methane gas is produced by bacteria in the gut, and that's most likely to result in a constipation-dominant SIBO, whereas hydrogen gas is more likely to cause the diarrhea-dominant SIBO group. So if you're methane-dominant, SIBO, it is more difficult to treat those patients who have methane-producing bacteria and constipation. Those with high hydrogen levels and diarrhea-dominant SIBO, those people are much easier to treat and to get rid of their SIBO. So as you can see from these, these studies and the one that I just talked about from Poland, Uh, The TPO antibody levels, they are statistically significant compared to the control group. So there does appear to be a connection in this study with Hashimoto's and SIBO. But remember, they're not really clinically significant since they were well below the 500 mark. They were only around 94 in these subjects. So... I really, I'm not surprised the constipation dominant SIBO group, they had higher uh, thyroid antibody levels and their thyroid hormone levels were worse than the other two. So as you can see, these are, these are some decent studies. There's a fair amount of, of information here 
in these studies and previous studies that I linked to. So I think we, we can conclude at this point that there's definitely a connection between SIBO, Hashimoto's disease, and hypothyroidism. Now, does SIBO cause Hashimoto's and hypothyroidism, or does Hashimoto's and hypothyroidism cause SIBO? The answer is that it can be both possibilities. So you can get SIBO for a number of reasons other than hypothyroidism. You can get it from all the things I mentioned before, like head trauma, major stress, antacids, um, blood sugar issues, way too many antibiotics, you know, all the things that I mentioned before. So you can get SIBO for reasons other than Hashimoto's and hypothyroidism. So you could start with that and then also develop Hashimoto's and hypothyroidism because of the SIBO. Because uh, the SIBO damages the gut lining. And we know that if you have abnormal gut function and a damaged intestinal barrier, you're more likely to develop an autoimmune condition. That's one of the three things you have to have to develop Hashimoto's. So to get Hashimoto's, you have to have three things. Number one is a genetic predisposition. Number two is a gut issue. And number three is some sort of trigger. And that's usually an infection, like a virus or bacteria, or like a major traumatic stressful event, or a toxin like mercury. Anything in the environment uh, or infection or trauma that really hammers the immune system and uh, triggers the autoimmunity. So SIBO can cause that second aspect, the gut issue, and lead to Hashimoto's disease. And then vice versa, you could start with Hashimoto's disease and hypothyroidism, and that leads to sluggish bowels, and then that can lead to SIBO. So what you really need to understand is that if you have Hashimoto's disease and hypothyroidism, and you have any of this, those symptoms that I mentioned for SIBO, it's probably a good idea to get a SIBO test and uh, be evaluated. Now, it's really important that you work with someone who understands SIBO. Um, it takes a lot of education to understand SIBO. I've been to all the uh, the major SIBO conferences, and I've read all the research on that. And like I said in the beginning, I'm just seeing more and more and more SIBO. So I'm pretty well versed in it, and of course, uh, as well as Hashimoto's disease. Uh, but you definitely want to work with someone who has a lot of experience with SIBO because it is a difficult condition in a lot of people. And sometimes it takes a lot of trial and error to get the right uh, supplements and diet down to treat it and overcome it. And another important point is that two-thirds of the cases of SIBO end up relapsing. So people get treated, and then three months, six months, a year later, the SIBO comes back. And that's because the reason for the SIBO was not, was not actually identified and uh, treated in the first place. So 
it's important that if you have SIBO, you don't just treat it with herbal antibiotics or uh, prescription antibiotics or all the other things that are done for SIBO and then expect it to just stay that way. You want to be sure that you evaluate all the reasons why you may have developed SIBO in the first place and get that corrected. And that could be Hashimoto's disease and hypothyroidism. So if you go to drhedberg.com, I have the, the table that I mentioned, and I have the breakdown of these studies. If you want to read them, I link to those. But very, very strong connection, and uh, I think the literature is, is clear here. All right, so this is Dr. Hedberg. Take care, and I will talk to you next time. If you enjoy The Dr. Hedberg Show, you can support it by sharing each episode on your social media channels, like Facebook, and by leaving a review on iTunes. Please visit drhedberg.com. That's D-R-H-E-D-B-E-R-G.com to access the show notes and resources for today's episode.